Hello and welcome to The Game is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Gareth and Milo. Hello, chaps. Hi, Steph. Hello, Steph. That's a going chaps. Yeah, I mean, we I suppose we should be used to it by now, right? Uh, life in N17 is never anything less than eventful. Everyone, we will be discussing our second brave, bold, numerically fruitless, but developmentally golden home defeat in a row. There's optimism for you when we look back at our 2-1 loss to Aston Villa. Uh, but look, before a ball was even kicked at the lane today, the sad news that Terry Venables, both our former player and former manager, had passed at the age of 80, uh, came through, you know, the media. I think the club, by the way, did an excellent job of pulling together the, the minutes applause and some and some good tribute stuff there. It was really good. You know, Tell was the last manager to lift the FA Cup with us, right? Uh, he gave us a team, I think we'd all agree, that encapsulated the very best traditions and ethos of uh, Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Uh, he also brought flair and entertainment to the England side, uh, most notably as he steered us to within a penalty kick of the Euro 96 final. And let's not forget his early uh, career as a Sinatra S crooner. And he also was a bit of a writer, co-creating uh, the successful 70s TV Cockney private detective, James Hazel, simply known as Hazel. Did, uh, the, did, did either of you uh, see that when it was being broadcast? Or I'm, am a I... too, I'm a little too young for that, <laughs> Steph, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, I'm not. So, uh, But anyway, let's talk about things that we do uh, remember about Terry. I mean, let's celebrate Terry Venables here, yeah? Let's celebrate what he gave uh, to Spurs, what he gave to England, what he gave to football. You know, who wants to kick us off with uh, their memories of, of, of Terry Venables and what he meant, to, meant to, to you? Gareth, you should kick it off. Go on. Okay, thank you. No, no I'd, I'd love to. So on your pod about goalkeepers last week, which was a brilliant pod, by the way, I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, Milo, you, you made the great point that you can often date people by who their first goalkeeper was. And I think exactly the same for managers. So mm-hmm. for me, yeah. um, Terry Venables is my Spurs manager. He was the first yeah. manager when, when I got into, into, into football and into Spurs around 1988. So he, in some ways, he will always be the first name that comes to mind when you think of, or when I think about previous Spurs managers. I've got a couple of really good personal memories of meeting him. I was, um, I think, quite quite regularly actually over at the Mill Hill training ground as a as a kid around that sort of period. And on one particular occasion, I'm holding it in my hand here. Um, my dad was involved in a. In, in an inter-club game. So I think we had a, the first team had a free weekend and they just got the couple of local referees together to, to go and referee a game between the, what was effectively the first team squad in two teams. And I went over there with him. So I was absolutely like a kid at Christmas. So there's all my heroes on the, you know, on the pitch and standing next to me on the side of the pitch was, was Terry Venables, who um, I went and sort of plucked up the carriage to go and ask him. There was a couple of players I didn't recognise, a couple of the younger players and went over and asked him who the who the number eight in midfield was and he explained to me it was Darren Kasky, he was a player he was he was really excited about integrating into the into the first team. And I'm holding in my hand here, I went to grab it beforehand. This is this is my book of autographs that were recently found in my parents' loft and this is the Tottenham Hotspur night 92, 93, and, and the first one that I've got on there is, is Terry Venable's autograph. I can there, verify for everyone listening that that is indeed Terry Venable's autograph on Gareth's autograph book or paper. Is that or an autograph paper. book or is that a piece of paper you've managed? It was just to it was just a bit of paper, but it must have been a book of paper because it's all the same. It's all the same style. So I've got yeah. Have you sellotape those pages together? It looks like you have. No, to they're stapled together. Book. They're stapled oh, together. But I mean, they stood, they stood the test of time. That's thirty years ago that I've got them, or over thirty years ago that I've got them. Um, and I, I'm also just reflecting that my two teams, are Spurs and England. If I think back to the most enjoyable and most successful performances I've seen. From from those two teams collectively over my my lifetime supporting both of them. I instantly think of us beating Arsenal in the FA Cup semi-final in, in April 1991. And then from an England perspective, I think about the time we beat Holland 4-1 at Euro 96. Mm. I know you two both have got personal memories of. But the things that those two performances have in common, was one, they were both at Wembley Stadium, the old Wembley. Um, but secondly, they were teams managed by Terry Venables. And um, he was capable. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking... No, he he should have gone on to be a better manager than he than than he was. He should have been more successful than he was. And I do wonder whether he was an occasions manager that for certain games he could set 
and he could prepare teams. And I remember several of the players that played in that game against Holland at Euro 96 saying for, you know, for sort of nine months beforehand or since the draw was made, he was always planning ahead to that Netherlands game. Mm. That for months and months before, and of course they played, we played Switzerland and Scotland prior to that in Euro 96, but he had just prepared to take on that Dutch team who really were our bogey side. If you go back to Euro 88 when we, we, we got a bit of a shellacking from them then and we missed out on qualification in 94. So that was a really big game for us to play Holland and he had prepared for that one. And we absolutely out-dutched the Dutch that mm. night, didn't we? It was, it, was, it was such a good performance. And you know, we, England have got to European finals since then, I'm pleased to say. But that performance against Holland really, really stands out. And I think everyone that was played in that says the same as well. Um, it wasn't just about those performances. I think he was a very brave and innovative coach. Um, but his man management was fantastic as well. He was he was a great man manager. I, th- I think we were discussing pre pod about the way that he dealt with and, and managed Paul Gascoigne. But there was a, there was there was a lovely tribute to him by Darren Anderton on um, on the radio earlier today. And Anderton was talking about in his very very early days at Spurs as a nineteen year old when he'd come to North London for a lot of money for a kid at that time. And Anderton was saying that a few games in, he, you know, it wasn't really going for him on the pitch, and he came off with an injury in a game that we were losing at home to Everton, and he was really distraught in the changing room and he said Venables you know who was manager at the time came into the changing room whilst the game was going on and sat him down and said look you're a great player I really believe in you everything's going to work out fine for you we'll sort this injury out and Anderson said as he was telling him this there was a huge roar that came in which which they soon realised was Spurs equalising and rather than Venables as manager going back out to see what was going on on the pitch he he stayed in he said he didn't flinch he just continued that conversation with Darren Anderson. So um, he was a great man manager. He was a great tactician. And I, I think it's one of the biggest crimes in, in English football that they didn't retain him as manager beyond Euro 96 because he was he was the best coach that we had. The fact that he'd worked for Barcelona beforehand. Um, and then from a, look, from, a, from a Spurs perspective, he you said he was the last manager to win the FA Cup for us. He should go down in history as the only man that's ever won the FA Cup for us as a player and as a manager. I don't think any of us remember him as a him as a player, but I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who who will remember some of the qualities he brought on field. I think by his own accounts, he never really fulfilled his his um, potential as a player for us. But certainly as a manager, I've got very very fond affections for us. Not only did he win the FA Cup. We finished third the season before that in 1990. If you think in 33 years since then, we've only we've only finished third or above on two occasions since then. So um, yeah, he he was he was a great manager for us, a, a great man, um, and he'll be he'll he'll be sorely lost. Milo, I I, I feel I've witnessed one of the great pod like one shot takes. It's like that film 1917 that was shot in one continuous take, no edits. He's it's like Sonny's. Uh, Puskas goal wasn't he just dribbled through like, the whole dribbled through the whole topic un- and put it away you know so. no, no no breathing necessary it was it was it was the the greatest of soliloquies if you will for for Terry Venables top that my friend I was gonna say should we just stop the pod here or should should we carry on and let me just fuck it all up um I, I, funny enough I, I was thinking about the um that point, you know, on, on the on the keepers pod last weekend as well, when 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 the news broke, and you know, Gareth, we were talking this morning, weren't we? When the rumours first started coming through, and it was a few hours later after that that it was confirmed. And I, I remember earlier earlier Spurs sides. I remember, um, you know, our, our cup winning sides of the early eighties. But I was in my early teens when Venables was appointed, and I think it's just that kind of key point. And I've got one of those awkward landmark birthdays coming up in the next few weeks, which kind of makes you look back on on things and, and think think about um, think about stuff. And why can't you just say it? Just say the number, man. <laughs> well, just I'm... spit it out. Come on. So, no, but I, I, so I was kind of thinking back about him starting and you know him joining us. And it, it felt almost like a, a kind of rock star arriving like coming from Barcelona the whole El Tel thing and I, I don't think I'd ever seen that with a manager before certainly not with us and and he just seemed so much you know, was I 13 something like that 30 I can't remember yeah 13 14 uh, you know he felt so much larger than life almost and I think almost you know when when the records you hear or the bands you like during that period during you know kind of early to mid-teens the ones that stay with you they're the ones that shape you they're the ones that kind of define you I think Venables defined me I, I support. I supported Spurs before that, but 
Venables sealed the deal. There was no way it was going to be anyone else after that. He shaped what I want in football. He shaped my views on football. He shaped how I think the game should be played. And yeah, no, it, it, you know, he, as Gareth said, he kind of d- defines that you know, that key point. You know, that key point where where you know, yeah, you, you, your opinions, your views, what you want are formed. And yeah, I loved him. It, 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 it's really interesting because um, obviously. I'm- by the way, uh, Milo, I'm sure you could think of 50 other reasons to uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you could put forward. No, I mean both of you seriously have captured, uh, you know, Terry Venables superbly. I, I, I won't have too much more to add that other than anecdotes because uh, it's interesting you talk about managers and generations. Uh, my my association, my first love was always Keith Birkinshaw. He's mm-hmm. the that side. That was mine. Um, two uh, more opposite managers you could never have had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, than, than Birkinshaw and, and Terry Venables, obviously. I mean, for me, I think the thing I loved about Terry Venables, I love I love a silver-tongued cavalier. I, I love someone who's intelligent in conversation, witty, lively, entertaining, doesn't take themselves too seriously, can, can, can you know, can, can exchange on any level with any person. And Terry Venables, to me, was absolutely that. Um, I, I think probably one of the things I enjoyed about him the most uh, was... Um, <clears throat> Despite him bringing in Alan Sugar, it was clear that he, uh, during that whole eruption, uh, it was clear that he uh, was. I'm I, look. We debate this another time. To me, he was a heroic figure. He was light, mm. and Alan Sugar was darkness. Now, of course, that's up for other debates and other times. But we're celebrating Terry Venables now, um, and I love the way he carried uh, carried us uh, through that time. I love the players he worked with. I was fascinated by the players he worked with. I mean, you got Paul Gascoigne, right? Uh, in, in, and Lineker, of course. But he also had a curious love of Terry Fennick, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which seemed to follow him everywhere. And I'll, I'll throw this at you because I think this is uh, one of the one of the greatest games that I ever saw Terry Venables manage was a game that he lost, and it was against us. And it was a 1982 FA Cup final replay, a game that we got battered, absolutely battered, despite having gone ahead in the seventh minute. It's the only game where I've literally watched the entire second half through my fingers. And he had QPR playing some 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 fantastic football then. He had his Tony Curry playing for QPR at that time, you know. Um, just really, a, just what a great side. Uh, and, and I think he brought some of that flair to us. Um, I will say my favourite Terry Venables game, uh, I don't, for some obscure reason, Paul Allen is another one of those players mm. that, you know, I associate with Terry Venables. And it was funny, I saw him lining up on the touchline today, you know, when they were showing the legends um, the, before the game. Uh, when we beat Arsenal 1-0 in 92, and what I remember as being a particularly aggressive and fractitious game, I don't know why, um, Paul Allen just steaming through uh, to score. That that was a favourite moment of mine. I, I mean, I don't know if it was necessarily a Terry Venables game, but it was a favourite moment of mine. Um, but yeah, look, everything you said about uh, Euro 96 and, and so on and so forth stands. Um, and we should never forget, he got to a European Cup final with Barcelona. He won the league for the first time in a decade when he was there. I mean, he he had his successes. He made his impact. I think one of the things is, you know, people talk about that kind of silver-tongued part of him, that kind of charmer part of him quite a lot. And I think people forget that he was, you know, a tactical innovator. He was ahead, you know, ahead of yep. the game at that point. And, you know, we were talking just before he, you know, we came on air where, where we were talking about, you know, when he left the England job, Wenger had arrived at Arsenal and that changed the game and moved the game on. But up until that point, he was very much at the forefront. And, and you know, the changes that Wenger brought in were around fitness and diet and stuff like that. That, yeah, maybe didn't play to, to Venable's strong points. But tactically, he would have been good in, in any part of the game. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about you know, how people sometimes said that Ange is, you know, kind of cross between Redknapp and Pochettino. But you could say the same about Venables in that, yeah. you know, you've got that... Yeah, the man, the, the the man motivation. Yeah, the man management skills, but also you know very very shrewd tactical thinker about the game. You know, Gareth, you were saying about the, the the Netherlands game where he was thinking about it for months in advance. You know, that's not someone who just g's people up, gives you know gives them a pat on the back and sends them out to, you know to play their best. It's not you know just fucking run run about a bit, is it? That's you know a really 
um, you know, shrewd operator. And I, I remember that you know all the talk about the Christmas tree formation at that point mm-hmm. when he was with it, which isn't a million miles away from what we're seeing with Ange with mm-hmm. us now, really, in terms of you know how you line up this this key differences. Obviously, there are, but a lot of the fundamentals are very similar. Yeah, and he also, I mean, his man management. In, uh, one glaringly great example of his man management was uh, was obviously the dentist chair incident. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when uh, the tabloids plastered. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, uh, and you should look it up because it's quite amusing actually. But there is uh, Teddy Sheringham in a in a dentist chair, and it was in Hong Kong, wasn't it? Uh, and uh, right. being at, that being, being at, I mean, I'm not just talking about having a drink. I mean, they're shoving a bottle of bottles of hard liquor down his neck, all over his head. I mean, it was absolute carnage. And apparently, the flight home wasn't that much better either. But something that the tabloids really tried to, to you know, they tried to use it to to break the team up. And I, I I don't know what they were up to, their usual tricks. But but Venice wasn't having any of it, was he? Just he sort of just managed to guide the whole squad through it as as if it didn't really happen. And even after that draw against Switzerland, you know, the one one and everyone's like, Well, oh, the dentist he wasn't having any of it. He just managed to guide them through it. And imagine playing for someone like that. It must have been tremendous. And well we're reading it. Mm. The tributes today have been great, haven't they? You've got the likes mm. of Lineker and Mabbert talking very warmly and uh Gareth, I know you've you've seen a few of these tributes today as well. And I would say, if you think going into Euro '96, though, you know, you talk about Sheringham, and you know, again, you know, when he started, when he first you know, with Sheringham, he was. I remember him talking about him being kind of England's Cantona, and everyone was laughing at him about that. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the, you know the way he stuck with Shearer through a gold drought and taking mm-hmm. him into the tournament, and he he he, he you know yeah. just bursts you know bursts um, into form. Um, you know, these aren't accidents. This is just you know a very very good. You know, tactician who who knew what he was doing. He knew his players, and he knew what they could do, and 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 had the you know the wherewithal and the guts to stick with it. Yeah, well, I had the um, I had the pleasure of talking to Judy Welsh um, fairly recently about Terry Venables, the, the, the official biography of the of, of the club, and she was really enamoured with Terry Venables and and um, saying almost the, the floor of him was that he was he was a very intelligent man. He was academically he was he was very bright. You know, far mm-hmm. more bright than most of his most of his peers, certainly in the football world. You know, hence he went in and and wrote a couple of books, and that was that was probably his biggest flaw actually. Was that he had these really high aspirations for himself, and I guess people will be listening to this. Maybe you've come into football recently and saying, "Well, you're talking about this, you know, this, this bloke here, and you know, what did he actually win or achieve as a manager?" And I, I guess his flaw was that he he always had this aspiration that he wanted to run a football club. So, which is why he he never continued as as our manager um, longer than he did. And so that's probably a conversation for, for you know for another time. But his um, yeah, his aspiration was always to be in, in charge of running a football club, not just running the team and I've, I've heard directly from a couple of players that that played for him and said look when he was on the training ground he was just the best coach you could ask for because of all the things we've said about already um he is great at putting plans in training was always great fun it was always really rewarding um but there were days and weeks when often you wouldn't see him at all because he would have these um he'd have these other projects that he was working on he was the you know, chief executive of tottenham hotspur and that you know sort of fatal last yeah, that he was. With I'm, I, I'm diving in right there. We're not talking about. We're not going there. But <laughs> he was indeed. But then it started to go funny. But I will. I will tangent off something you're saying there about his. His. You know, his intelligence and and his his um maybe you know wanting several bright lights. I mean, could you imagine Jurgen Klopp writing a German noir like you know fiction character fiction detective? I mean, you know, a Netflix a Netflix uh, style. I mean, you know, I, you should check out. I'm Hazel, there for it basically. if he decides to do it. I think. <laughs> You should check out Hazel. It, 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 it's good fun. It, it's it's like a cheeky nod to the Sweeney sort of thing from a from a like you know cheeky Cockney character. You didn't mean to it, tell me that. I've never <laughs> seen it, and to be honest with you, I wasn't really even aware of it. But I knew what it was before before you know you said any more. Of course, it was that. Of course, it was. <laughs> yeah, but 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 as you would expect crafted with great sympathy and 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 empathy and and sort of like you know support for for detective james hazel much in the way that i think terry venables managed to engender that support and love from everyone in football i mean he's coming from everywhere today gary neville mm-hmm. gave gary neville his debut of course in the england side remember it's coming from everywhere shearer it's coming from everywhere and quite rightly so uh one of you said bobby robson as a comparison Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it feels big to me. This feels. I mean, obviously, as a Spurs fan, it, you know, and you know, as I said, you know, kind of what he means to me. You know, given the age I was when he came into the club, and and the, you know, the way we played football under him. But it feels big to me. This feels significant, and I, I've seen fans of other clubs, you know, similarly 
upset about this or you know sad about this in the in the way that we are and you know I knew he you know, obviously he managed quite a few other clubs but I think a lot of that was probably down to his England team and you know the way he went about that he is one of those figures like you said with Robson who's just got that that wider reach and I think everyone or certainly every England fan who you know saw that Euro 96 team will will remember it very fondly he may well be the only manager I've seen take a picture with Steve Archibald where Steve Archibald is smiling and smiling mm-hmm. broadly not being forced to smile but smiling broadly of course the two work together at Barcelona um, let that not be the the closing point of, of our uh, tribute <laughs> to Terry Venables <laughs> but it is uh, just shows you how many strings this guy had to his bow I mean it, seriously I think I think both of you have really done a, done a great job encapsulating what he meant to a generation of Spurs supporters and and to many more of us as well so there's probably no more to say about that than you know godspeed uh terry and uh let's uh hope that he was looking today <laughs> at the team selection and thinking you know what Ange, i'm with you good for you i like what you're doing with this team selection i would have done the same um i'm assuming that it was in the spirit of a venables tottenham the uh, <laughs> For way of a segue, if nothing else, I suppose it's today's <laughs> game against Aston Villa. But uh, let's make it work. I mean, what did we think of this? I mean, I think, I think Venables would have been <laughs> still picking Terry Fenwick, wouldn't he? So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so go on. Uh, let the, let's 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 move let's move into the Villa uh, portion of this pod. Uh, let's talk about that team selection, uh, chaps. Who wants to lead off? What they thought when they saw the team sheet? How shocked were we? I mean, it was again. There were some rumours. Coming through before kickoff, that Dyer has been dropped for Royal. I think it was, you know, the Brian might be coming in. I, th- I think it was really, really bold. And I think what Ange did was that the players who struggled to play Ange ball against Wolves were the ones who came out. And I think it was a really, it was a real statement team selection where he's saying that I'm going to go out I'm going to play my football even if these players aren't necessarily the best players at their uh, you know at the club they're the ones who are best suited to the game I want to play and I think that was yeah I think it was a really bold it was a really brave decision the players to miss out there I don't think that's any surprise to us I think we all know that those players are probably going to be leaving in the not too distant future but to roll the dice and to make those changes now I think was really bold and um, you know we had three players there who were starting their first ever games for for Postecoglou. Uh, I think in Brian and and Gio, I think they they were starting their first games this year. So you know Benton Kerr, Brian, Lacelso coming in and starting. I think it was bold moving Johnson to the to to the to the right was bold bringing Decky to play the Madison role was bold. I think they're all things that we'd all talked about. They're all things we'd speculated about. Sorry, and playing Emerson Royale at centre back was bold. Um, these these were you know big big calls. Yeah. Well, I think again, just by means of of, of segue, that I think Terry Venables upheld the values of the club and the supporters as a custodian of the team, and that's exactly what Ange's done today. I didn't realise as well. He he was saying post post match when they asked him about Venables, he was saying that they did have a connection when Venables was was Australia mm. national team manager. I'm not sure whether Ange was managing a club side at the time, but certainly he was aware of him and spoke quite glowingly about him. But yeah, I mean, really, it was it was a team where he was determined that he was going to go down swinging I think he did say post-match I didn't hear much about what he said pre-match but post-match he said on several occasions he wasn't happy with the Wolves performance and that mm-hmm. really lent itself to the team selection that he did and then Saar coming back injured from international duty would have thrown another spanner in the works but so just to build on something that um, that Milo just said I've looked at the start in 11 so Hill it was his first Premier League start since January and only his third ever Premier League start for us ever Lacelso, it was his first Premier League start since El Sakiko when Nuno mm. was manager in October 2021 Ben Tanker first start since February for us um, Emerson Royale first start as a centre back that anyone seems to have on record I think Ben Davis it's only about the fourth start I can remember him making as a centre back in a back four Vicario and Udogi are making only what their 13th and 11th starts in the Premier League respectively Brennan Johnson only his third start for Spurs um, and then Kulisevsky, his first start in the central positions. That really only left Son and Poro, who were there as any sort of established players. And, in and established Poro hasn't positions. been here a year yet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I looked at that team selection and I was relieved. I was completely relieved. We have four fullbacks forming our back four. We have 
you know, Bentacore plays a number six. Uh, you know, we, we've made all these switches. Here, but I want us to establish who we are as a football club. And I like this manager and I like what yep. he's doing. So that yep. team, that team has gone out there, whether they are, you know, fit for fit for the purpose, you know, by definition, mm. they're fit for purpose by the training they do and by the fact that the manager trusts them and they will know that and they will execute what he wants. So I was all in. I was like, whatever happens today, this is a statement of intent and I like it. Could Eric Dyer have cleared? You know, those are all what ifs. It doesn't matter. I love Eric Dyer, but he's not able to play Ange ball. So Ange has said, "I like you, but I've got to go with I've got to go with my heart here. This is the future." So I was delighted with the selection, and I think that's the thing you've got to think about. That I saw quite a lot of comments about the back four, um, you know, their height. And Ange talked about that again in some of the post-match interviews, oh. saying he kn- he knew that it, it was a known yes. risk. Now Eric Dyer chasing back towards his goal. From you know, is going to from a standard start facing in that direction to start with, it's going to be okay. You know, in the air, he's going to be okay, but facing the other way with the ball at his feet, he's not, and that's the right. problem. You know, with with Ange, you've got to think all of the time what do they do with the ball when we've won it, and you know, it's how we use the ball, how we progress the ball that's important. Yeah, I mean, he deals very much with facts, and the facts are he has a way that he wants to play, and there are players who can play that he wants to play, and there are players who don't play it as easily, and that's what he does. He is he's one of the least assumptive managers I think I've ever seen, and I love it. So I thought the selection was great. I mean, let's let's and we all we all agree. I mean, we're all agreeing with that. Mm-hmm. It's an unequivocal agreement. Let let's let's go to Bentoncourt. Uh, 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 he came in for Basuma. He was playing a little deeper. He was the six. Uh, look. <laughs> I'll let both of you start. Let's let's keep this pattern going and and and, ex- and say what you thought of his performance. The the, the performance he actually got to have. <laughs> I I thought it was our most fluent performance of the season, certainly for the first forty minutes. And I thought that was absolutely everything to do with Ben Tanko's abilities to keep the ball moving, uh, to recycle it quickly, to drive forward when there was space to drive into. And I suspect that the turning point in the game was his injury. I don't think that's a coincidence that we lost our foothold in the game or we lost the ability to dictate the tempo and to make things happen with the ball once he went off. Uh, I still think we were the better team after he went off, but I, I think there was a there was a notable drop in our ability to, to do the things we wanted to do as well as we did once he went off. Um, we, so we just pray that it's a, it's a very, very short-term injury. Yeah, I, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was having a, a really good game. And, uh, you know, considering it's, you know, unfamiliar position for us, you know, previously, you know, since he's come back from injury, he's been playing in one of the, you know, one of the eight positions more. So it's the first time we've had a look at him there. I thought he looked really good. I thought him and Gio were working really well together, coming deep. And, um, you know, with the front line we had with the pace there, uh, having players in midfield who could you know play those passes quickly and play those direct balls in behind which we saw a lot of a lot of really really good weighted passes in through you know just go straight through the villa lines and and uh yeah for for our forwards to run onto i thought was really important and i think you know i think that's what andrew was looking for I was really impressed with him. Yeah, I, I again, I completely agree. I mean, that ability to play a quick and incisive forward ball from a deep position is is imperative uh, with, with the way we play. Uh, I think it's impossible to look at Bentico's performance today without Lacelso being part of that. I thought the two of them worked worked really well. They looked mm. they looked like they they had a they'd had a relationship for a long long time, uh, and it was so that, effortless. Is that the first time they've ever started together, Gareth? I think it. Yeah, it be. is. Yeah, because um, yeah. Lacelso played for us his last appearance for us before going out online was that one at Leicester where we won 3-2 and that was about a week before Bento right. and Kulisewski right so it's the first one I mean I, th- I think I think that I think that he he's his fluidity. I mean, I was worried that he would still be a bit rusty, and I was a bit concerned that having played eighty you know, eighty three minutes uh, halfway around the world, he's going to come back a little tired. His fluidity was unbelievable. He's picking the ball up off off fullbacks all the way across. There's no recognised mm-hmm. centre half, but he looked like he'd been doing it for years. He was he I, that game was his. He had that game in his fucking pocket. And, and until- I think one of the th- one of the things that you know when we talk about this team selection and and you know, Bentaker is really key to this. When we were talking about the Wolves game, there was a lot of sideways passing, and we were saying that we've lost the the WM passing, the up and down, Absolutely. the zigzagging, and that yes. was all back today. And, and yeah. we were able to stretch Villa and create pockets and, and create chances. And I think the other thing is is that you know with Madison out and obviously Basuma missing here, um, the, you know the, the fear is, and you know we saw this against against Wolves that we you know, we wouldn't be able to create chances. 
and uh, Benton Kerr and Geo don't play the same. You know, it's a lot more around making the ball move rather than carrying it, and uh, you know, they're very, very different. You know, Le was obviously playing a lot deeper than 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 Madison does. It you know, it was Decky who was nominally in that Madison role, um, but. What it meant is that we could move the ball, we could create chances, and you know everything. You know against against Wolves, we created nothing, absolutely nothing, and yeah. and that wasn't a problem today. You know, it, and mean, that's I, that's what I take away from this most is that we're we're creating a lot of chances. Well, and that's, my God, that's the important thing. While he was on the pitch, it was almost like their forward line. I couldn't couldn't believe that they were getting the chances they got. I couldn't believe that we were getting the chances we got. I mean, we missed. I mean, you know, we look at this scoreline. The scoreline does not tell the story of the game. We had, within the first 15 minutes, missed uh, some wonderful chances uh, to, to, to score. I mean, starting with Udogi coming right through the middle there, and, and, and he really should be putting that away. I mean, there are plenty of good mm. chances. He'll whip that crossover for Sonny that was just yeah. an inch off. Sonny was a little off. with. It. I mean, we could go on and on and on. I, th- I think the point is that, again, I think we're all in agreement that, you know, this was Rodrigo Bentoncourt's game. He had it in his pocket. Spurs are flying. Everything's happening, and uh, and then uh, on t- you know, the twenty fifth minute, um, Matty Cash did what he uh, has done to us before. He uh, he took out one of our uh, informed players, uh, <laughs> and and that uh, that was good night Vienna for for, for Rodrigo. Um, you know, <laughs> where do we start? Where do we end uh, with this? I'm sure we all want to say something about the challenge. Uh, who wants to go first? I thought it was a coward's tackle. It's one that he knows as he's making it. I'm going to get away with a yellow card here. I'm going to clap to someone. I, I don't suppose he knows this is Ben Tankura and he's been out for nine months and I've got his risk of me re-injuring him here. But it was a coward's tackle. It was excessive force, as you said. He's got previous for this as well. We probably only watch Matty Cash or concentrate on him twice out of 38 games a season when he's playing against us. But that's twice in 18 months that he's he's named a player. Matt Doherty was out for the well, best part of seven or eight months with the injury mm. that he picked up with him. So I, I don't know how often this happens in in other matches um i thought look we, we discussed this pre-pod but by letter of the law it's it's probably just about a yellow rather than a rather than a red or bit insane that i think if the referee on field gives it as a red for endangering the safety of an opponent it probably doesn't get overturned but i i if i watch that i probably expect it's going to be a yellow it doesn't mean that's what i think that the law should be and i think this is the sort of thing that the ifab who makes the laws and sets the interpretations needs to have a look at because this is this is a coward's tackle there was no interest in the ball whatsoever it wasn't one of those where like, i've refereed over the proverbial hackney marshes where someone clapped to someone and they come up and they say ref i got there as quick as i could and you you give them the benefit of the doubt this wasn't one of those this was i'm frustrated i'm going to go and hurt someone and that's well, what you have actually left on hackney it. marshes have you not I have refereed on Hackney Marshes. Right, so it's not yeah, proverbial, yeah. it's factual. Well, the, 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 <laughs> that comment that I got probably wasn't at Hackney Marshes, but I, when I have refereed at Hackney Marshes, <laughs> such things have happened. Enfield playing fields, probably it was that. But. Yeah, I mean, I think, so just before that, we'd had a break in play for a VAR look at the Watkins offside for um, for yeah, their first disallowed goal. And I'm pretty sure that Emery or the coaches had had a chat with the Villa players at that point and told them to get into us because we were finding it pretty pretty easy. And they were pressing, uh, more intently after the restart there, closing us down. And, um, you know, it was a minute later that, that Cash goes through and, uh, and clatters him. I, I agree entirely with kind of the Gareth's assessment of it. And I'm, I'm all in favor of tightening the rules so that, um, you know, challenges that potentially endanger players are, you know, taken out of the game. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just it was just shocking. It was cowardly, and it's something that we've been seeing all season, uh, or certainly since Sheffield United, where teams are trying to um, foul us out of games, effectively. And you know, we're seeing, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing, you know, particularly um, kind of an accumulation of, of tactical fouls to you know, disrupt our play and to. Um, uh, I don't know, intimidate our, our, our creative players. And I think it's a real problem. Uh, you know, I think earlier in the season, I said, you know, it's something we've got to learn to deal with. I think it's something we, I think we've got to start putting pressure on, on referees. Um, and I don't think, I don't think we, we need to do that in a, in a clop or, or, or an Arteta way. But I do think we, you know, Anne should be talking about this saying that actually, you know, part of the reason we're, we're missing so many key players at the moment is because of this. And, and it, it, 
you know, the, this accumulation of fouls and, um, you know, just we are trying to statistically stop. the most fouled team in the Premier League. Or certainly we were yeah. going into this match day weekend and another 13 fouls against us today. I'm, I'm sure yeah. we've maintained our position I, at the top of it. I, I think you make a good point there, uh, Milo, when you talk about the, the breaking play and the VAR, uh, and, and, and Emery definitely telling them to step it up a little bit in terms of the aggression and the over physicality on, uh, especially on a player that is you know, he's got the game in his pocket. I think that's absolutely right. Um, unfortunately, that has happened to us before this season. It actually happened to us in our last home game, if I remember, <laughs> where, you know, lengthy VAR breaks our rhythm, breaks up the flow of our play. And, you know, we're unable to f- quite get our concentration back after that, our flow, our our speed, uh, our transition, you know, our speed of movement. Um, it is something we're going to have to learn to deal with, I think. Um, it was interesting. Sonny was talking about that as well after the game that he just, you know, it, it was it, to maintain the speed of our, of our play became an issue in in the first half um you know uh, and, yeah. and i think it is i mean when when he, I, I will just say this about about uh, cash i would just say that I, I think my own personal prejudice against him i'm still not quite over what he did to uh to to, to doherty I, I was absolutely furious i was furious isn't it i don't usually wish for a reprisal challenge but i must admit i was really hoping someone was going to go through and, hard on him uh, and and i don't usually wish for that but you know i thought he needed it and you know it's going to happen at the lane at some stage, and everyone's going to cheer, you know, cheers to the, to the rafters. I mean, Emery saved him today because he was the next challenge yeah. away from going off, wasn't he? And and, and yes. taking him off at half time was was a mercy because, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, there was there was no way Fundamental he was surviving. Management. The crowd was starting to boo him, and actually, when Ben Tanker did actually eventually come off, both Lacelso, I can't remember who, I think Emerson Royale, you know, made I think Brian did as well, sort of yeah, sticking his finger yeah. in, his, and, in his face, but. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, Gio and Brian went over to to Benteke as they're going off as he was going off, and you know, Gio knows what it's like being out for long times, and you know how difficult it is coming back. So, um, I think I think everyone felt felt for him. But my understanding is, I think it was the standard was saying that he he limped out of the ground, but he, I don't think he was wearing a supportive boot or anything. So, hopefully, it was his ankle, wasn't it? Rather than yeah, it his was. knee. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and Ange, Ange confirmed that afterwards. So yeah, ho- hopefully yeah. it's just hopefully it's just heavy bruising bruising or something like that, and uh, and he, you know he's back soon. Yeah. yeah. In fact, well, so, yeah. yeah, but I mean, Matt Cash come back. Is he the new Charlie Adam? <laughs> For those who don't know that reference, Charlie Adam famously, uh, I think it's fair to just say, twatted uh, Gareth Bale twice. Um, uh, it, 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 so, two separate times, obviously. Amongst other and, players. And great injury. Mm. Um, yeah, let's 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 move on from from that. And uh, we've talked about Geo. Uh, we didn't talk about his goal, which I think we'd all agree was 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 a beauty. Lovely to see him uh, strike that. Um, I mean, if you want to say more about him, please do feel free. But uh, we should also touch on Brian's performance because that's a little more intriguing to me. I thought Geo, I thought Geo did really well. I mean, and he fitted in well and he looked good. Um, but Brian's performance is a little more enigmatic to me. Uh, I'm interested to hear what uh, each of you think. So, I mean, I think. Considering that, you know, so long since they've started, they've been out for a long time. I think both of them did about as well as we could hope. I think Gio was obviously the better of the two. Um, but I think Brian, particularly that the cross he got, um, you know, with his left that Sonny was millimeters away from was something that we've got no one else in the team who's able to do this. And when we've talked about kind of fits for the side, fits for the system, that being able to hit across a, a pace, um, you know, whilst, whilst running, is something that we that you know, is definitely a, a bonus in in this system. With everyone fit, is is Aretha them starting? Probably not. But what I, I was really pleased with is that you know they've potentially given us given us options. Yeah, you know, I think going into this game, going into this game, I think you know we we obviously you know, with injuries we look we look really really um, really thin. You know there aren't many options in the squad. We you know we we're struggling you know struggling to create chances in our last game. And you know the questions for me were. You know, does Ange trust them and can they play in this system? And I'm really pleased that he does and they do. Yeah, for, for me, I think you're right. The Celso really stood out today. He got the goal and you could see him, you could, you could see him visibly lift after that as well. Um, I've you know, written him off actually and I'm very pleased to be writing him very much back into my thoughts and he's going to be a big part of our team certainly whilst Madison's out yeah Brian we've not, we're not used to seeing him on the left hand side we're used to seeing him on the right and fulfilling a slightly different different job 
I mean, I he was very noticeable without actually achieving much, apart from that cross that they just went over Sonny's head. I don't know, like the Indiana Jones phenomenon, where you notice him all the time, but everything that goes on around him doesn't really have any impact on the end narrative of, of, of how the story ends up. Um, and I did feel he was very much our weak link going forward. There was a point when he came to play more centrally in the second half, which meant that Decky then came across on the right-hand side, and it felt that whatever you know Brian was doing or where he was going, it was it was just causing a bit of a negative effect on the on the rest of the team and the and the shape and the lineup of it. And unfortunately, you, you felt he probably needed to to be the one substituted, albeit there really was very little to replace him with at the time. Yeah, I, we all agree with Gio. I actually thought Gio was having a really good game and that the goal just like accelerated that even further. Mm. I love the pockets he was. He's not afraid to look for those pockets in the way that Madison is, uh, isn't is afraid either. They both have that in common, even though obviously they're both slightly different players. But he's got that eye and he's got that, he's got that arrogance almost to look for it. And I like that. And I think that when he's when he when he wants it, he's a great player. And a really good player, I should say. Great, we should say for really great. So I, I, I look for more from him. I, I, I'm sorry, Brian didn't do it for me. And he did two things today that really, really pissed me off, actually. Um, the first one, I give him a pass. And that was in the first half when he tried. He got a ball inside. It was coming onto his right foot. It's easier for him to wrap his right foot around it and take a shot from 10, 12 yards out inside the box. Instead, he tried one of those sort of like Globetrotter-esque like flicks back to the player behind him and it didn't quite come off okay joy de vivre football you give him that so on and so forth he did it again in the second half and if my memory serves me correctly it was the passage of play that then broke and ended up with Villa scoring their second goal it would be churlish for me to blame him for that I don't want to and I think it's harsh to do that but when he did it again it was the fact he tried it again in in a, in a fairly so in an area where it's it's you know you can't really afford to give up the ball there especially with a quick transitioning yeah. team and you're like come on make your decisions better well his decision making was poor and ultimately he's he's too he's shoved off the ball too much i yeah i didn't see him getting muscled off the ball much in this game i thought he i thought he was pretty good in that regard and i think um I think with those, it's just down to his you know, being very left-footed and both of those balls, I think, were coming onto his right and he couldn't quite adjust himself. Yeah, I don't think he's done any worse. You know, I think I don't think he's done any worse, say, than Manor Solomon's done in that position. I think he's probably better than, than Manor Solomon in most of his games. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this from, you know, is he an option from the bench in the in the coming games? Yes. And I, th- I think, you know, he did enough today to show he's an option. What I, what I, I, I what, don't disagree with that. You know, what I'm pleased about is that we, I think we're probably in a position now where we look at January, we're not in a position where we definitely have to replace them. We're in a position where if an option becomes available to improve on them, we can do it, but it's not the top priority. The top priority now, you know, there's other positions where we could say actually they're top priority. These could be squad players until the summer and then we can replace them then is kind of how I saw it. And I think that's, that makes our job a little bit easier in January than it might have been midweek or, you know, if it hadn't worked out today. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with that. And I think Ange has done very well to find a way to deploy him where he can possibly prosper and shine, um, you know, midfield service notwithstanding. Uh, we'll see what happens. But Yeah, uh, and, they, and they probably need, you know, they need to run a three or four games, don't they, really, to see what they can do. Because, yeah, I mean, you know, it's churlish. It is churlish to judge him on this on a first start with all the pressure. And again, he's coming in with without the you know without the Rolls Royce players around him to serve him. So yeah, there are definitely mitigating circumstances. I will concede that, but I also must be honest. I I would quite frankly hope that we can get some of our other options fitter, so as we do not have to use him as an option because I do think he is um you know he's the weakest link of the three going forward. But yeah, there's you know as you said. Good for Ange for finding a way to make him work. Um, okay. <laughs> Pau Torres scored a sucker punch goal. Um, stroke of half time. Ollie Watkins scored a second on the hour. Uh, I suppose it does lead us to ask how our makeshift back four did uh, overall in the 97, 98, 100 minutes that we played today. So, I mean, I think ultimately their deficiencies were exposed and that was defending crosses, particularly from set pieces. So that's the, um, the, the Torres goal obviously comes from a set piece. Villa had two chances in about the first opening three. In fact, both teams had a couple of chances in the, five, the first three minutes, which were chaotic. And both of um, Villa's ones came from 
crosses as well. They've got that guy, Angus McPhee, who's the set-piece coach, mm. very distinctive-looking one, who is very animated <laughs> who? in the they technical They got, what, Nanny McPhee is their set-piece Annie, yeah, coach? Yeah, well, I'm sure that's what he's known as in the dressing room. Angus <laughs> McPhee, he's been there under a couple of managers now. But what a he really becomes name. animated. I'm going to look that up. Have a, well, I'm yeah, you, you, I'm Wonderful. sure you'd have seen him on the on the bench, perhaps subconsciously. You didn't. You, you, you yeah. remember him when you see him. I remember but him now. Every time they get a free kick, if from anywhere from the inside, he's up and shouting, part, isn't he? He's up and shouting. Yeah. Um, so they're obviously very, very well drilled on on set pieces, and say he was particularly animated today. Um, he's a you know, he's a scr- he's a scruffy bugger, Steph. I mean, we had we all met up at the Villa game last season, <laughs> and I think he spent more more time on the touchline than anyone else. He's quite old. Angus McPhee is a Scottish visual artist uh, who lived as a young man in the community of Echor and the south uh, on the island of South List. Born in nineteen sixty. Different one. That might different be a different one. one. Different, yes, one. different Angus McPhee. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's getting mad at me because I'm dragging the pod off off topic. Bring us back to Angus McPhee and and and, and our defence and Villa and so on. Yeah, Come well, on, look, I, I think this back in. That the, the trade off in in playing for Angeball today was going to be that we were going to have players in positions throughout periods of the game where they were going to be uncomfortable and could be exploited and that was that was very much the case with the first goal I think the second goal in, in, in fairness you can you can always analyse them and say they should have been stopped but I think if we'd have scored that goal we'd have been really pleased with it there was a, there was a good give and go between mm-hmm. Tielemans and Watkins and he took that goal expertly it was the, it was the early shot that that made yeah. it because I don't think Vicario had set himself ready for the for the shot, but to get generate that much power and accuracy with such little backlift from from eighteen yards was it was a really masterful it was strike. A very from a quick shot. Banging form at the moment. Yeah, but in, I, I thought we actually nullified what I thought would be Villa's main threat. Yeah. So they've been really good playing in behind. But I mean, Diaby was almost a, a passenger in the first half. You didn't notice him at all to the extent that they took him off and changed the shape in the in the second half. And I think that's because of not just because because the back for but I think collectively as a team we did really well to stop them doing what they what they wanted to do which was which was playing behind even Watkins didn't possess that sort of threat until the game mm. started to become more stretched at the end I'd say I think the only time they really got in behind us was when uh, Big Vic did a header and um, uh, then McGuinn wasn't it? it had a shot that was uh, that was high and wide um, I mean I think you're right on so Ollie Watkins go maybe if we're if we're being harsh Royal could have got a little bit closer to him and, and tried to get a foot in. Um, with the Torres one, it was just a fantastic free kick. I, I, I we could have our first choice, 11 out there, and it's going to be tough to get to that. I suppose I mean, with the differences is you've got um, Van der Ven standing in front of it, and he's, he's still six, six foot four of him. But, you know, it was a fantastic free kick. And, you know, I, I, you know, I think you'll score, you'll score that against most teams. I think we're all in agreement, and we said this at the top of the pod when we were talking, well, the top of the Villa segment of the pod, and we were talking about the fact that we knew that this is, you know, patently a gamble when you're playing four fullbacks as your centre-backs, and that we weren't blessed with height. So, yeah, as we've both, we've all agreed, that, that that's a mismatch that can happen. What you hope is you don't give away those sorts of free kicks. If it happens, you're in the percentage game, and so be it. As you said, very well-placed header, and you've got to give him that. You know, And I think, um, and, yeah, and I think when we look at that defence, we've got to look at how they did facing upfield how they did building up from the back how we did you know playing out and all of that was vastly improved and you know if we take our chances in this game it doesn't matter that Villa get those two because we've scored you know two three more goals out out there and we've won it we we easily create enough to win this game comfortably yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that we have to give the, uh, this makeshift, very makeshift defence, uh, you know, some uh, allowance for as well is, you know, again, you know, our number six doesn't co- doesn't continue the game. It's swapped out once again. We have another completely different type of player coming in. And Pierre is different. He doesn't quite do what Benton, he doesn't quite play forward. I mean, the one time he did play forward today uh, resulted in a very narrowly offside goal. My word, I, I wish he'd do that more often in terms of just get that ball through and forward. Um, I, I would actually say that if anyone, he could also be tagged a little bit for the second goal. I, I Look, I bet, again, as you said, it's pretty churlish to tag anyone because, you know, it was a great shot from Watkins. He has shot early. I can't have any complaints about that defence overall. You know, I've read some I've read some idiots today going on, and we talked about this at the top again. You know, oh well, if we'd have had Dyer on the pitch again, it's not about that. It's but not about we, that at all. It could, but if we had if if we'd had Dyer on the on the uh, in the team, then we're playing you know half a pitch yeah. further back. Yeah, you know, the game is stretched. It's harder for us to pass the ball through. Yeah. We're not we're not finding Benton Kerr. We're not finding those balls yeah. out. And you know, 
I, I like Eric Dyer, but he's not for this team. And no, I think, I, you know, I, I, I think agree. realistically, all we can expect of him now is that, you know, he's there to help us see out games. He's there for emergencies. And that's the, you know, that's probably it now. There was a story in the, mail after the game where I think him and Ange, I mean, Ange has been pretty upfront with him according to this article uh, and told him, you know, where, where he stands. I mean, he's going to, he's going to be pretty, he's going to be pretty clear to him, isn't he? If he's getting a, a right back picked yeah. above him today. Um, but yeah, the, the stories, I think the standard a couple of weeks ago said that we were looking to sell him in January. I mean, that looks yeah. like it's going to be the case, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, did either of you notice, because I certainly did, within the first five minutes of the game, there was suddenly some activity down on the bench and Dyer came out to warm up. And so they I talked see, about this. Yeah, I, I could see that it looked like the sub was going to be made because while someone on our bench handed the fourth official the little blue ticket yeah. that looks where they have to write the, subs- well, the numbers that are going on and off. And then that yeah. seemed to get withdrawn and, and go back. So yes. I'm, I'm, presumably that would have been one of our the defenders commentary, that was injured. The commentary was that Udogi was looking to get, had felt that he'd aggravated or they felt there was an aggravation of his hamstring and that he was actually looking to come off early and uh, and subsequently stayed on. And it's ironic because I think uh, it's probably today was probably his, his least impressive performance for us. He was quite sloppy today, especially in the second half. And I do wonder if that's because he was forcing himself through and maybe forcing himself to play a little hurt. You never know. I, I think um, you're being, I think you're being a little harsh. I think he was great for the first kind of 17 minutes or so. I think he's certainly tired. I mean, I think the whole team tired, didn't they? But yeah, he had a couple of misplaced passes from, I think, 80 minutes onwards that I, I yeah. noticed. Yeah. But, there was a really noticeable point in about the 80th minute when both Udogi, yeah. but particularly Brennan Johnson, just seemed to run out of energy completely. There was a point when um, Lacelso had the ball and was looking to play forward and waiting for Johnson to make the run, and he just didn't make it. And then not long after that, a ball was played to Johnson on the left, and you're expecting him to really go and run at the right back. And again, he just he just didn't. Um, so I think fatigue was probably creeping in. So if you're saying that Udogi very very early on, I think he, um, I, had, yes, that's what they said on, on, on our commentary. They said that on our commentary, and I, I, it looked to me like maybe he was carrying something. I hope I'm wrong. Say so another one actually to bear in mind. So how many of this team have played 90 minutes? Well, outfield players have played 90 minutes before this season. So Doggy and um, and Porro have. So ben Davis has. Royal has, but not for weeks. Yeah. Um, this is all. These are all factors. Sonny has. Decky has. No one else. No. No one else. Has, so half the team have never played. 90 minutes this season and most of them you know there's a fair chunk of them who are starting their first game so yeah. I think that that kind of lack of options on the bench really really came through didn't it yeah and look I mean again let's look at Decky in that Madison role his name's come up I you know I'll, I'll, I'll say I thought he had a really good game uh, especially mm. when he was playing in, in in that Madison position let's be honest again very unfortunate on another day uh, that goes in off the post at the very yeah. least, right? Yeah. Um, he's also, uh, you know, on another day, he's put another one to that far post that someone's Sign- going to come sign- in on. His signature goal. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. He, he, had mean, one, he had one tip round as well for um, yeah. with a curling shot to the to the back post. Yeah. So he's, you know, he's had uh, three gr- three really good efforts and was a constant thorn in Villa's side. And I have to say, I, I was especially impressed with his uh, physicality today. He really, really held his own. Maybe it's because we didn't have as many many uh, of uh, sort of the, the big lads out there if you will as we usually do and so he was very conspicuous in mm. that sense I mean he was strong on the ball especially in those last 20 minutes when he could have been waning he he won some really tough 50 50s and I, I was really impressed with him yeah well, there's that one where on 73 minutes where he breaks he shrugs off um, David Luiz and that's the one yeah uh, I mean he, he looked like he was running on fumes at that point didn't he because he, mm. he, he shrugs off the challenge but there wasn't I mean obviously he's not the quickest or the best of times but it was a bit lumbering i would say the run and then he gets the shot away and it's a bit of an easy save isn't it for martinez um yeah i thought it was excellent i think it was in, it was interesting that he, he he played quite a few different positions during the game mm-hmm. and i think the other so in the second half I, I noticed that he was staying wide and we we're playing uh johnson in the half space and and gareth you mentioned earlier on him going over to the left to help out um brian on occasions the other one that I thought was was quite interesting in terms of the starting lineup. So in the last game, the Wolves game, um, when Saar was playing as the more advanced of the eights, we'd switched him to the left in order to, you know, so so in the same um, part of the pitch where where Madison normally operates. Whereas today, uh, Decky's doing that from the right. So we, you know, Lacelso's on the on the left hand side and playing deeper, and we switched it around, which is something that Ange appeared to be unwilling or less willing to do in the last game which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I think the, I think the key thing is, is again, we've got an option here. We, you know, we know that he can play this role now, which is again is really good. It's something we'd speculated about. I think we've seen it uh, late in games once this season, maybe twice, but it gives us another option now, which is really, really key. Yeah, I mean, I think we'd all agree. <laughs> we've we've been chipping away at it for the whole pot, actually. Uh, talking about a chance here, a chance there, a post here, a, a tip save there. Uh, then we got. Uh, Hoybier's drive, which was spectacularly saved, I think, by Martinez. Mm-hmm. That's a great save. It's a good double um, save, wasn't it? Because Johnson oh, had got got a shot yes. in just before that as well. At, where, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm just thinking through all the chances. Uh, and you know, even as I mentioned, Udogi's earlier on. Um, you know, in the first minute or two, we did end up paying the price for not taking them. Really, didn't we? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can. You know, this is where it becomes disproportionate in 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 retrospect unless you watch the whole game in context because of course if you concede two goals you have a makeshift defense it's easy to say well the defense has cost us today because we didn't have our regulars but the truth of the matter is uh, and I think you said this earlier Milo we should have had that game to bed uh, before uh, well before Rodrigo had to go off I mean we should have been 3-0 up by then I mean for chances missed alone that's without the bad luck yeah, and I think it's worth looking at kind of this game again, comparing it to the Wolves uh, game. Um, yeah, I mean Villa are a better team than Wolves, um, but we, yeah, we were at home, we were away against you know, against Villa, but sorry, against Villa against Wolves. You know, in this game, you know, we're putting up two point two three xG. We had you know eight shots on target. Um, you know, against um, Wolves, it was zero point four three, zero point four three, and two shots on target. In this game, we had 18 passes in the final 20 yards of the pitch, closest to um, to Villa's goal. Uh, against Wolves, we had five. So, you know, in terms of again, I think I've said this a few times in this. You know, when we look at the selection, when we look at the choices, you know, this is this is what it meant. And I think, um, yeah, on another day, we put those chances away. We know that Sonny, yeah, you know, Sonny's one of the best finishers in the league, but he's also a bit streaky. And at the minute, at the moment, he's on one of his barren streaks. If this, if this, you know, he had a hat trick of offside goals in this game. Uh, on another day, if he's if he's if he's on one of his hot streaks, we win this. You know, we we score five. I think even if we've some of our, you know, for, you know, I think any of our key players um, who are out injured at the moment start this game, we win it. And yeah. you know, if we if we had options uh, options frontline options on the bench, I think I think we could take something from the game. It's just where we yeah. are at the moment. I think. Absolutely, but I mean, I think the overall, the overriding fact is that you know we had more than enough on the pitch today, and we created more mm-hmm. than enough to get the job done. Yep. We just Absolutely. didn't, we just didn't finish, and it's as simple as that. I mean, it, it ultimately, you can only take care of your own issues. Um, and the stark truth is, we were a profligate. That's as simple as that, right, Gareth? I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm stopping you from saying something, or if you don't want to say anything. <laughs> You're confusing me. No, I, th- I think. Look, I, th- I think in summary, it's another game and it's another performance that I enjoyed, and I enjoyed it because we played front foot football. There was an intention to to move the ball foot vertically. There was an intention to score goals and, and to entertain. And I, th- I think more often than not, I think Andrew said it post match as well. You play that game ten times, you, you probably win six or seven of them. Yeah. And so Today was just one of those days where it where it didn't quite happen for us. But we know what we're building up to something, and we know that you could you could pick probably five players that weren't available today, and you could parachute them into the positions that they would have yeah. played in today. That team suddenly infinitely stronger, and you know either does take the chances or just creates another couple that, that generate an extra couple of goals. Yeah, I, I, I think it's very well. Let, let's address the sort of the back end of what you're both saying with what did you think of Villa? And there is a back end to this. Um, I mean, I'll start by saying, you know, I think they're workman light and functional. They look decent and uh, inspect patches and so on and so forth. But I can't ultimately see them finishing higher than seventh. I really can't. I don't think they're that good. I think a couple of injuries and they will fall apart. And again, we go back to the finishing today. Had we finished today, we'd have absolutely smashed them. It's as simple as that. And had they not kicked our main player out, I think we'd have we'd have beaten them anyway. So, yeah. Okay. Let me let me give you a, 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 a contrary view to that. I think Villa are very good, and I think they're a team we should benchmark ourselves against. They finished above us last season, and I think that us and them will be in that fourth to eighth bracket 
this year. But I, you know, I do think that they are a team that have really backed their manager. They've had two very, very good transfer windows. And the irony of this is that we've now appointed one of their recruitment team and some of their staff to our team as well. It's a, it's a deep squad. Do you think Clement Longley played 35 times for us last year and yet he only really plays in the European games for them so he doesn't get into their, their starting eleven? I think they're pretty strong. They're a very different animal at Villa Park compared to away. And you think they're, they've come unstuck away from home on several occasions this season and at home they're really strong so I I think they're they're good value for what fourth position they sit in now and I, I think we should be looking at them as a you know as a team that if we finish above them this year we will have achieved quite a lot in 12 months wow okay I could not disagree more but anyway uh, I'm going to take the middle ground here uh, <laughs> I think Emery's done a fantastic job at Villa um, I wouldn't be benchmarking ourselves against Villa in terms of the way the club are run I think they're a bit chaotic and you know I don't you know, I was very critical of the appointment of Steven Gerrard, who I didn't, I really didn't rate. And, um, you know, the reason that, um, Langer has joined us is because he was sidelined at Villa because, well, because they, they, they kind of flip between one thing and the other. Um, I don't, I think they've done some good signings, but I don't think there's, um, I think they've, made, I think they've made some good signings for Emery and for the way he wants to play. I'm not sure that there's a kind of long term vision there. Um, and with Emery as a manager, he's got a great record in Europe. You wonder how deep they go in 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 Europe and whether that starts having an impact in, on their league form. He's also a manager who who tends to do well over two or three seasons and then everything falls to pieces. So this is probably the high point um, of of his Villa side. And I think one of the things that we we do need to bear in mind about this is you know we put very much we very much put a scratch side out. We, we yeah, we're very very thin at the moment. As we said before, loads of players starting their first game for this manager. Villa, you know, Emery's been there a while. He's established his style. He's got his team playing how he wants them to play. They're they're in their groove, and you know, we more than matched them. I think we were the we were the better team. Uh, and I yeah, think, I mean, I, I, think over, I think over the season, I'd be very disappointed if they finished above us. I mean, dear God, my 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 generosity with the coffee bean or with coffees in general leads me to uh, say, Gareth, I don't know if you want to take this bet, but I think we're going to finish at least eight points ahead of them this season. Ooh, I, I think we'll have had a very very good season if we finish eight points above. You want to take that bet? Pound of coffee, pound of or coffee, a box yeah. of your favourite yes. tea bags. I'm not sure if you're a coffee drinker. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, but I will I will buy you one if we finish eight points above them. Okay, and I will or more, and I will buy you a box of uh, your favorite tea uh in, in in you know if you win this bet but i i think it's safe because i, I just don't think i don't think they're very good and I tea cut is I his think... favorite tea what, what is it tea cuts <laughs> polish the paintwork on his car very good i think uh, but i think you're right i think this is the peak of villa season um uh, uh, well not beating us but <laughs> sounded I, a little arrogant i, I, I think I, this is as good as it's going to get for them this era is what i'm saying and i agree with you so, well, one positive and one negative uh, in, in 30 seconds. Well, I don't know why we say 30 seconds. It's not happen, right? <laughs> one positive and one negative. next week? <laughs> uh, why not? I don't know. I like saying it because then I can have that little waffle about it afterwards. Um, anyway, Milo, why don't you go first? Um, my positive is we, we play good football. We play good football without, you know, three really, four really key players. Um, and yeah. I, th- I think that's. I think that's. A, it bodes well, and I think I'm really, really impressed that Ange had the balls to do this and to really, you know, really signal about where we're going. So, yeah, disappointed with the result. Very encouraged by the performance, and very, very encouraged by where we're heading because I think this sends a very clear signal about what the manager wants longer term. And yeah, you know, once once we've got the depth to match that, then I think we're going to be a a, a real, real, um, really good side. Um, and the negative, yeah, I mean. <laughs> You know, it's the third game we've lost on the trot. You know, we're up to City next weekend, um, which is, you know, is a really tough one. So, you know, it could very easily be four on the bounce. Um, and then West Ham, Newcastle, it's a tough run. And, to, you know, once we get out the other side of that. Um, so, yeah, we can't wait, you know, getting those players back. Getting, I mean, Biss and Romero will make a difference in the next, uh, uh, you know, well, Biss will make a difference in the next game. Romero will make a difference for, for West Ham. Uh, we need those players back, and um, I can't wait for this kind of little run to get out of the way, and we can actually get on with get on with the rest of our season because I think we'll come good again once everyone's fit. 
Okay. Um, for me, yeah, the positives that we're seeing a real identity in the team. They ultimately we played well, and if we played that fixture ten times, we'd been more times than than, than we don't. Um, negative for me, we we seem to be enjoying creating some statistical anomalies at the moment. I think we're only the second team of in Premier League history to have in three consecutive games gone a goal ahead and ended up losing on each occasion. Leicester were um, the last, weren't they? Yeah, Leicester were the were the last. Um, Villa were pretty poor away from home and very poor when they conceded the first goal. We seem to have um, been the um, been the Dr. Tottenham and they've managed to turn things around today. I, I mean, I do think things will get worse before they get better and that's purely because of the, the numbers of players that we've got available and um, you know, let's hope that Bentenko's injury is not too bad. But looking at the fixtures we've got, you know, I do think that when it comes to Christmas time, we might find ourselves down in about seventh or eighth place because of the fixtures we've got. I think in the long term, everything will be fine. This is why my positive and negative are interwoven because I think we are seeing an identity. And I think that getting even two or three of those players back into the team again mm-hmm. and with a slightly kinder run of fixtures, you'll, you'll see us go back up the table again. Um, but I, ju- I just want to sort of flag that up that it probably will get worse. We'll, That's probably true. If, as expected, Manchester City beat us because they are an exceptional world-class team next week that'll be four defeats in a row and I don't think that's happened for a very long time for us that we've lost four Premier League games back to back and people just need to need to calm themselves down a little bit and not shit the bed just stay with it stay with it, it you know it will get better yeah my my positive is the same as both of yours uh, maybe even stronger um, I consider the everything we're going through now to be an unmitigated and unqualified success compared to the uh, last two managers because we have a manager that has the courage of his convictions and we have a club that is uh, learning what it is to have the courage of its convictions with that manager that means everything to me um you know short-term results versus long-term bedding in of who we are and what we do is it, 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 it you know sacrifice them every day i mean we talked about that the only negative i can find right now beyond the numbers and the points and look nobody likes to lose football matches um obviously so i mean that's an obvious negative but the the only negative i would really flag today is we're starting to see the first creaks from a few of our supporters who uh you know uh, sort of you know starting to talk about things like well shouldn't we be more pragmatic you know when we've got you know, these injuries, we need to have a plan B and so on and so forth. And I just, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. It's no like, man- where, where is your courage? Where no is man- your understanding of what we're doing? You know? No manager has a plan B. All of them stick with yeah. their plan. All of them. Well, all the, at, to your point, Pep, Klopp. <laughs> you know, all, all stick with their plan. But, yeah. you know, w- what we're seeing now, though, and I think what I found encouraging is just that, you know, previous managers would have stuck with kind of Hoybier and, and Dyer yeah. and then yeah. blamed them and dug them out after the game. <laughs> and, so true. That's exactly yeah. what they would have done. Yeah. And Ange, you know, he's rolled the dice. And I think, I think actually, I think it paid off today. I think the the performance was, was vastly superior and yeah. I, I'm much happier going into, yeah. uh, into the City game with those players and playing yeah. in that way. I'll agree with you. And the only thing I'll do, I'll flip the lens a little bit on that final thought that you offered, which is I think the only time he's rolled the dice this season was last weekend at Wolves. And I think he went back to what he is and who he wants us to be this week. And I think he only did that last weekend to, to, as, a, as a learning process. There's one thing that I'm loving about this football club right now. We are learning so much about our players, our squad, what we have, what we haven't, who we are. And he, he, he gave those players a chance. And they didn't yeah. do it. They didn't take yeah. it. And he and he's and he said, right, that's it. And you know, I do think that could be, you know, it, it just. You know, I think those players were off out anyway, so it's not quite the same as when and with when Potch um, uh, got rid of the senior players in his first season. Right. But but I think it, I think it is one of the. You know, he's turned a page. I think. Yeah, he has indeed. He's turned the page and possibly even just to chuck the novel away and has a new one. And uh, we're enjoying seeing it bed in. I, I know I know, we're all in agreement here. Um, so, you know, it was fun. It was good to talk this through, chaps. Thanks very much. It's Cheers, been a lot of fun, isn't it? Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss our victory uh, at Eastlands <laughs> against Manchester City when we show the world that Ange Ball versus Pet Ball, uh, it, it's going to be okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as well as other Spurs stuff that has happened. Uh, and look, you know something's going to happen this week, right? It just does, right? So anyway, all right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We will see you next week. <laughs>